Welcome to the Aspire to Inspire podcast, and I'll be your host, Bobby Arendi. If you're new here, let me tell you a little bit about this podcast. My friends, Uzger, Anissa, Reshma, Nangi, Kira, Emma, and I interview influential people every episode. Join us every month for an episode full of excitement, lessons, and laughter. Anyways, right into this episode. When we think of swimming, we think of it as something we do in the summer, when it is hot outside and there's no school. But really, swimming is a serious sport, a sport that can be rigorous and requires a lot of motivation. Well, today we are going to interview Miss Botek, a former competitive swimmer and now a teacher and coach at McDonough. Miss Botek started competitively swimming at the age of seven. She swam for many teams throughout her life, including the McDonough team, the University of Georgia team, and the T2 Aquatics team. Before trying out for the University of Georgia team, Miss Botek completed a routine physical. At this physical, she found out that she had a less serious version of long QT syndrome, a heart arrhythmia that can be life-threatening to athletes. But she didn't let this stop her. She continued to accomplish many things in her swimming career that include getting third and fifth in the NCAA Double Two Division Women's Championships and second and fourth in the Southeastern Conference Championships. Because of her many accomplishments and talent as a swimmer, she then got accepted to try out for the Olympic trials. This is obviously a big honor and something she must be very proud of. She tried out for the Olympics, and she was very close to getting in, but she was not close enough. This obviously was a big letdown for her. But at Inspire to Inspire, we always don't interview the most famous or best person in the world. We also interview influential people who fell down and got back up with a new rhythm in their walk. And a great example of that is Miss Botek. Now you're wondering, what is she doing now? Well, right now she's working at McDonough, her former high school, where she's teaching 6th grade ELA. Well, without her further ado, please welcome Miss Botek. Miss Botek, we all know you're an amazing ELA teacher who's thoughtful and able to encourage students. Were you the same when you were a child? Otherwise, how would you describe yourself as a, and your childhood? So I was actually a pretty um, quiet young person. I um, mostly had my nose in a book, so I've always loved reading, particularly fantasy and science fiction stories. Um, And I would say that, you know, I definitely was not super outspoken as a young person, but I did like to sort of project a positive energy for the the people around me. Yeah, I think um, like doing a positive energy can really impact people and yeah. So what inspired you to become a swimmer? Like, how did that start off? Like, were you like always athletic and was it a family member or a famous swimmer who inspired you? I would say it was probably more so a family member. So um, my parents were both swimmers and so they got my sister and I into swimming pretty early on. And uh, being a younger sister, I had, I had an older sister and I always wanted to be like her. So whatever she was doing, I wanted to do. Um, So that's kind of how I initially got into swimming. Um, 
and she would work really hard and try really hard to be successful and so that was sort of the model that I had growing up. Being a swimmer you need to practice a lot. What would you say your practice ritual for swimming competitions? Did you have any special workouts? Um, so, you, you know, before competition, I would um, listen to music a lot. Um, so listening to music was kind of like a way to pump myself up before competitions. Um, you know, depending on whether I was, you know, swimming as a part of a team, like a part of um, McDonough team in high school or a part of my college team, you know, sometimes our teams would do cheers and things like that to get each other excited and focused. Um, so the cheering if I was in a team setting and music if I was, um, you know, just kind of swimming on my own. And um, in terms of like workouts, there are a couple workouts that stand out in my mind as kind of like being really difficult, um, but also being sort of like accomplishments in and of themselves. And I remember one workout when I was, I think I was 12 or 13. and we had to do a 3,000 butterfly for time. Um, so that is quite a few laps of butterfly and we had to keep up the butterfly the whole time. We couldn't do any one-arm strokes. And so when our coach first gave us that set, um, a lot of us were unsure whether we could actually do it. Um, and then we did do it, which was a great, gave us a great sense of accomplishment. It's not anything I've ever done since, but. <laughs> When we were researching, or should I say stalking you, that <laughs> we, we found out that you were diagnosed with long QT syndrome. Um, so we were just wondering, what was going through your mind? Did you like consider giving up? If so, like who or what inspired you to keep on going? Well, that's an excellent question. So yes, my um, I went to college and I was swimming for my college team um, um, at the University of Georgia. And I vividly remember right before my first practice, um, I was called aside by the trainer and the trainer um, said basically, you know, something weird came up during your physical that we had to go through physicals before we um, sort of started practicing with the college team. And I had worked so hard and for so many years to not only swim in college, but then also, you know, try to go beyond college swimming um, to maybe the Olympic level or the professional level. So when they told me that I had been diagnosed with something that might end my swimming career, um, I did feel very lost. And I, up until that point, I had definitely defined myself um, through swimming. Um, it was what I was good at. Um, and it was how I kind of saw myself as a swimmer first. And so getting that news and not being able to practice for several months until we sort of figured out what was actually going on was very difficult. Um, and, you know, quitting definitely um, crossed my mind. Um, but at the same time, I just felt like sometimes in life, you get really bad news and and you 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 have a moment of you're like oh this this is really bad like this really really stinks and then you sort of have this surge of energy and inspiration and hope and you're like yeah this is not really great but i can definitely make it through this and i can figure this out and so that sort of overcame my initial feeling of hopelessness 
and um, I went to see other doctors. I got a second opinion. I went to the um, Mayo Clinic up in Minnesota, which is a really like well-respected um, hospital. And they eventually said that they had misdiagnosed me. Um, so then I was able to go back to swimming. And I would say I definitely had a very deeper appreciation for swimming once I was able to get back into it again. It sort of reignited my desire to, to swim and to be the best I could be. So um, what was going through your mind when you, when you were told that you didn't make it into the Olympics? Ah, so that was a very interesting um, period of time. So the last race I swam was in 2012. Um, and, you know, as soon as I touched the wall uh, and looked up and saw my placing, I knew that I hadn't made the team. And making it to the Olympics, um, you know, like I mentioned, had been a dream of mine for so long. And a lot of sacrifice and hard work went into trying to achieve that dream. So in that sense, there was a, an initial feeling of disappointment. But if you had asked me prior to that last race, if, if you had said, what, how are you gonna feel if you don't make the Olympic team? I probably would have told you that I would have been devastated. Um, you know, I would have questioned, you know, what all these years of my life were leading up to. I would have said that I thought I would feel very lost. But um, when I realized that I hadn't made the team, there actually was a sense of um, relief and even some joy, not because I didn't make it, because I really wanted to make it. But even in that moment, I could tell that all of the things that I had had to sacrifice and work for and the challenges that I had faced still had great meaning um, in my life, even though I didn't make the team. There was still so much that I learned um, and so much more that I could do because of my swimming career, even though I didn't make the team. So in a sense, there was disappointment, but the overwhelming feeling was one of accomplishment and um, a sense of relief, yeah. So do you think that swimming is an important life skill and something that everyone should learn at one point in their life? Why or why not? That's a great question. Um, I think everyone should learn how to swim just because, um, you know, being able to be in the water and be in the water safely is is um, is something that I think everybody should be able to do. You know, in terms of competitive swimming, I think it was great for me because it gave me so many opportunities, presented me with so many challenges, and. Um, helped me uh, form lifelong friendships um, and mentorships with people that I wouldn't have had if I didn't swim. So swimming was the vehicle for me to get all those things. Um, but I would say, you know, finding your passion or things that you're interested or inspired to do um, can lead you to those places. So swimming is important for safety. Swimming might not be the way that you find those wonderful things that I just talked about. So finding whatever it is that leads you to that sense of accomplishment, hard work, um, friendships, mentorships, 
that's what I think is super important. Um, after your swimming career, you became a teacher at your former high school, McDonough. Did you always have an interest in language arts and what caused you to become a teacher? What made you come back to McDonough? Uh, I love that question. I, this is such a, such a great question. Um, so <laughs> when I first went to college, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Um, and then I wasn't, I realized that wasn't going to be my path. And so I was looking for other things. So I ended up being in marketing and, you know, I enjoyed marketing, but it wasn't like a passion for me. So even when I had graduated from college, I was still swimming and I was working full time. Um, and again, I really enjoyed my job. Um, and I enjoyed the opportunity to, to still competitively swim, but I never felt like marketing was my passion. Um, and it took me a while to figure out what that passion was. And I would say swimming and reflecting on my experiences as a swimmer ultimately led me to be a teacher. In my swimming career, I had coaches and mentors who were awesome, who were so great and helped me grow so much. And then I had coaches and teachers who didn't have such a wonderful influence on me. And so both of those experiences and thinking about how those people had such an impact on me um, really inspired me to want to work with young people. I'm like, you can really make a difference in the lives of young people as individuals and in the world um, when you're a coach and a teacher. And since I had experienced um, the wonderful impact people can have firsthand, I was like, I wanna, I wanna give back. And I would say McDonough is the place where I felt such a sense of support and belonging and um, caring from the McDonough community, in particular the coaches and the teachers. Um, and my friends there as well. I was like, McDonough is the place where I can do this. I can be a part of the sort of the next generation of people being able to support, uplift, inspire um, young people. Um, and like I said earlier in the podcast, I'd always loved reading. Um, and so being able to become a language arts teacher and sort of pass on my passion for reading and writing to younger people while also hopefully helping them feel supported and seen and inspired, um, I just couldn't pass that opportunity up. What was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? I think my biggest failure um, objectively was not making the Olympic team. So I dedicated probably 17 years of my life to this one goal and I didn't make it. And while it was a huge failure, I'm so grateful for that failure because I do believe that if I had made the Olympic team and I'd gone on to continue swimming professionally, I don't think I would be a teacher because I think I needed to learn that lesson that there is value in the striving, there is value in the journey, even if that ultimate destination isn't reached. Um, and that also I am so much more than just a swimmer. I'm a whole human being. And I don't think I would have come to those realizations had I not had that 
failure. Um, so it's, it's, it took me a while to wrap my mind around that, but um, out of my biggest failure, I feel came my biggest accomplishment. So um, in that way, I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, I can definitely say as being one of like your students, you have been very inspiring um, as a teacher and I've been able to like delve more into my own English literature, I guess. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that being uh, not being able to go into the Olympics definitely helped many more than just you. Thank you. That's so wonderful to hear. <laughs> Um, what traits or mantras do you live by that have helped you to succeed in your life? Uh, I think probably there's two, two quotes that stand out to me. And one I believe is um, a saying that is attributed to um, Japanese philosophy, which is fall seven times, get up eight which is basically like, no matter how many times you get knocked down, you always have that ability to get back up. And then also sort of marrying that with the saying um, by the Persian poet Rumi, which is um, the wound is the place where the light enters you, um, which is kind of, it's a similar sort of um, message, right? It's this idea that uh, when we get knocked down, when we're injured, whether it's a physical, mental, emotional injury, that is an opportunity for us to to find the light within us and to shine it out um, for others. And so I would say those are the two pieces of advice I would give and the two pieces of advice I live my own life by. Life can be such a complicated sometimes. So what advice would you give to kids about how to live a successful life from your point of view? Yeah, life is complicated. Um, one of the biggest pieces of advice um, I would say is to don't resist the unexpected twists and turns of life uh, because it's so great to have a plan and have goals I'm a firm believer in all of those things um, but sometimes you know life just it's gonna go places that you don't expect it to go um, and sometimes that's gonna be in the form of challenges sometimes it's gonna be in the form of wonderful experiences but know that you're ultimately the captain of your ship and whatever happens, whatever twists and turns life takes, you can ultimately take all of that and create the life that you love and the life that you were meant to have. So embrace the twists and turns and know that you have the strength to, um, to find your way through. Okay, so now we're gonna move on to like, like fun questions. So someone gives you an el elephant, you can't sell it or give it away. What do you do with the elephant? That's a great question. Um, I would say that I would probably find a way. So since I, you know, I work um, 
at McDonough, I would find a way probably to sort of incorporate it. It's not really a farm animal type thing, but I'd, I'd want to find a way to incorporate it into the sort of farm experience um, that the students get, because I feel like most people don't get to see an elephant in real life um, or interact with it. So that's probably what I would do. I don't know where I would keep it, but. <laughs> What would you do if you found the penguin in your freezer? Penguin in my freezer. Um, well, I would have a hard time getting it out of the house without my my little puppy Winnie um, wanting to play with it. So if they got along well, I would let them sort of hang out um, and probably take some pictures of it so that I could show people because a lot of people probably wouldn't believe it. Um, and then I would try to find like a there's probably not a lot of penguin rescues in Maryland, but I would try to find a place where um, it could be sort of like rehabilitated and sent back out into the wild and enjoy its penguin life. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you had a time machine, would you travel to the future or back to the past? I would probably travel to the past um, because there's so many interesting events in history that I would want to witness. I would find it difficult, honestly, though, to sort of abide by the time travel rules of not interfering with things. Um, <laughs> so I would want to travel to the past, but I would really need to have some good self-control not to try to change things. I definitely agree with you. I'd probably go to the past as well, and I need a lot of self-control because I love history. So, <laughs> um, Would you rather fight a hundred duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck, and why? Hmm. I would say probably one horse-sized duck. I think it might be easier to keep track of the one horse-sized duck because all of the duck-sized horses, there would be so many of them that they could like, you know, sort of like, they, they could come up with a plan of attack and they could probably like climb on you. And so at least the horse-sized duck, I could sort of keep in my eyesight and figure out how to neutralize a little bit easier. Okay, so you should, I think you would be good at the marketing, but how would you sell hot chocolate in Florida the summer? Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's funny, because I've, I've lived in Florida and I know how hot it gets there in the summer. Um, so I would probably um, try to find maybe some scientific studies that um, gave some statistics about like the the health benefits of chocolate. So maybe like some of the anti-aging benefits or, you know, the chocolate makes you happier um, and use sort of the uh, physical and emotional health aspects of chocolate to get over the fact that you probably don't want a steaming hot beverage when it's also steaming hot outside. Yeah, I, that for me, that would be a really big challenge. And yeah, I think you have like a big, like an idea already in your head. And that's kind of like, I, when I saw that question, I was like stuck. I was like, oh God, I'm not gonna be able to do this. But the last question for today, um, what two items would you take with you if you were shift direct on a deserted island where all your food and water needs were taken care of? 
Oh my goodness. Well, one of them would definitely be a book um, for sure. Um, probably, I mean, definitely a fantasy book, a really, really long one. Um, like one of those ones that's like three or four books combined into a single book. And then, does it have to be things? Can it be like people or animals? Yeah, sure, why not? Um, I would say, I would say I would either, I would take, probably take my sister with me because um, she's just she's awesome she's a little bit older than i am and when we were younger we used to sort of get into to conflicts sometimes but um she's like been my rock um and i feel like that's something you would probably need on a deserted island i was just wondering out of the blue um what what kind of books did you like 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 yeah so I was big into, um, there's an author by the name of Tamara Pierce. Um, she did a lot of fantasy-based novels, usually with um, female protagonists, um, which was uh, very inspirational to me as a young person. And like the, the girls and the women in her books became like, they did things that normally only the boy characters were allowed to do. So. Um, she was one of my favorite authors. I would also say uh, Mercedes Lackey was another one of my favorite authors. Yeah. This is another weird question. You probably get this a lot, but I know that Michael Phelps is also from Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Did you ever like meet him? Yes. So actually, when I was sort of like I think between the ages of like thirteen and. 15 or 16, I was in the same sort of training group as Michael was. Um, so, and he was friends with my older sister as well. So um, I knew him, we, you know, went to his, uh, his graduation party, which was actually the year, um, the last time the cicadas came out, the Brood X cicadas, um, was the year of his graduation party. So I remember folks like daring each other to eat cicadas and, trying to dodge the little cicada shells. Um, so that makes me feel really old. But um, yeah, you know, it was, it's definitely, it was inspiring to um, be able to train with him and sort of witness his dedication to the sport and his, just his physical abilities. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it was pretty incredible. Um, I wanted to like, elaborate more on the question I asked about the time traveling what like decade or like how many years back would you want to go to because I love fantasy so much I would probably want to go back to um, sort of the medieval time period I know the reality of the medieval time period was like not super awesome um, but I would be interested to kind of explore that part um, and uh, you know, just to kind of see, like, there's so many places that are older and have, like, a, a bigger history than the United States does. And so I'd love to go visit those places. I mean, I'd love to, to you know, see what it was like during, um, you know, ancient times in China um, and you know, the Persian Empire and all those places where there were so many um, experiences of like learning and invention going on. I feel like that would be pretty cool.
Um, and then you know, just being able to witness some of the great leaders in history, the, the civil rights movement, I feel like would have been a very a difficult time to be um, alive during, but also very inspirational. Um, people fighting for equality and justice and what they believe in. Um, yeah, so those are probably like the two time periods that I would want to go to, like the ancient, ancient world, and then some of the more modern um, times of great change and um, forward movement. Well, thank you, Ms. Botek, for joining us. That's sadly all of her questions we have today. Of course. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. And this is such a wonderful project, and I can't wait to see um, who you guys interview next. So keep it up. Guys, that was an amazing interview, and I learned so much. So for you guys, what would you say was the big takeaway from this interview or the most inspiring thing you heard today? Um, I think for me, the most inspiring thing that I heard today was, like, her choices of why she came back to McDonough, um, of how, like, also how her failures um, showed her her passion. Um, so I think that was really inspiring for me. And um, I also learned that she's like me and she loves history, so she would like to see the past as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that was the really cool things that I took away from this interview. Yeah, I totally agree. I also liked how she said, um, get down seven times, stand up eight. So I think what I learned the most was that life is something like you put so much time and effort. As she said, she put so much time and effort in swimming and learning to do it. At the end, it's kind of amazing that she didn't end up doing that for the rest of her life. And I think it shows that you dedicate your period of time for um one specific thing but it doesn't mean that's going to happen all the time and that and that's not something you should be sad about um it's not going to happen for everyone but it's going to happen for some people but it's not something we should be sad about because we have another opportunity to discover what else we could do or with our life yeah she also said like it's more about the journey than the destination so yeah i think that's really true yeah that's a hundred percent like you should enjoy the journey you shouldn't focus on what you're gonna get to but the process of it you obviously enjoy the destination but enjoy the process too and i think that's very important to living a good life yeah i agree with you i think um something that i get caught up with and i'm guessing a lot of people get caught up with is always thinking about the destination like oh i have to get to this and you're not really enjoying your journey like oh I'm learning this stuff I see that I'm like messing up and I know for me I'm someone who like everything has to be like the best so like if I wanted to write a book it has to be like a bestseller the first time I write it like the draft has to be perfect and I'm trying to like learn how nothing can really be perfect um so yeah I think um everyone goes through that and also like talents too you don't have to just have one talent like you said Bavia. like you can have a bunch of talents and having more talents actually helps you to expand on like what you would really like to do as a passion or like something that you want to do for like the rest of your life 
Thank you guys so much for your input. Now back to our audience. That is all we have today. Thank you guys for listening to this month's episode, Aspire to Inspire with Ms. Botech, and I'll see you next time.